0: Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week six of our study of living in the Spirit. And for today, what we're going to focus on is understanding the joy that comes with the Holy Spirit, the kind of joy that only God can provide. So let's go right into it today, and we're going to begin our time in Romans chapter 5. For the sake of context, we're going to be reading the majority of the chapter before we move on to our next point. So, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and we'll begin with verse 1. The Word says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offence of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and stop there. I felt it was important that we read all this context before we get into Romans chapter 8. Because when we start with verse 1, it's going to start with therefore. Meaning, after everything has been said, this is the point that I'm trying to make. So it's important that we understand what the point is that he's trying to make. Now, granted, his ultimate point is a combination of everything that he said from chapters 1 through 7, but this is a sampling of what it means to be justified in righteousness before God. And as a result of this justification and this imputation of righteousness onto us, this should give us immense joy in knowing that the Lord has shown favor to us. So there's a number of things that we need to look at today that are evidences that we should be filled with joy. And if we are not filled with joy, what is missing? What are we not looking at properly? What are we not understanding in the context of the Bible, that holds us back from the joy that comes through the Holy Spirit. So it says here in verse 1 of chapter 5 that we have been justified by faith. This is on the backdrop of what we've talked about prior with spiritual baptism. Through the intervention of the Holy Spirit, we have been transformed from within to see God for who he really is. And by believing, we have become justified by faith, meaning that we have been declared righteous and we are no longer guilty of the wrath of God. And that is such an immense privilege. Not only that, but it says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning that he is no longer at odds with us, he is no longer. Our enemy. He is our friend. He is our father. He is our master. And so we have that change of ownership from Satan and the world to God Himself through the justification by faith and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. We have peace with God because the Lord Jesus Christ died for you and you believe what he did, that he is indeed the Son of God. So we have this introduction into the grace of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And what kind of grace are we talking about here? Well, again, grace is undeserved favor, and we stand in the grace of God. Your salvation came about through the grace of God. Your forgiveness came about through the grace of God. Your peace with God came about through his grace. None of it we deserved, none of it we earned, none of it we are worthy of, but yet God chose to bestow it upon us anyway. So for that very reason, it is all an act of grace. If we understand that more deeply, Our salvation had nothing to do with us. Our methods of sanctification do not belong to us. And the justification and peace with God was a gift. It was nothing we did. That should bring immense joy. That God has given us value. He's given us a purpose. And that should fill us with immense joy. Taking that a step further... He says that we should exult. That means we should rejoice in tribulation. Tribulation meaning hardships, persecutions. Why would we want to rejoice when things are not very pleasant? Well, it says exactly why. Because tribulation brings about perseverance, right? We want to be disciplined in the way that we see the Lord. When we worship and we seek him, we want to be people of endurance. And this will make a lot more sense when I go into the second half of my argument, is that this is going to lead us somewhere that will keep us close to God. Because an ultimate sign of maturity as a Christian is In the midst of hardships, in the midst of tribulations, where are we running to? Or rather, who are we running to? Are we running to God when things are hard? Or are we running to something or someone else? If we are running to God instead of away from him, then that is a sign of maturity. That is a sign of understanding who it is that we worship. And so, like he says in verse 4, this perseverance is going to become proven character. And this proven character will be hope. Hope in something that we cannot see. And it says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So, that love that we have for God turns into joy. And it turns into something else that we're going to go into here in a bit. So my point with all this is that there are benefits to being in God's presence. So the point that I'm trying to make is that this righteousness that we enjoy, this peace that we enjoy, this forgiveness that we enjoy, this imputation of God's righteousness in our lives, Is all a gift. It is all by His sovereign grace. And we should just be nothing but grateful for what we've been given. Well, let's turn now to Romans chapter 8 so that we can continue to explore this more deeply. Let's look at the first four verses of chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The word says, Therefore, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, there is much more that we could explore in here, but for the sake of time and the topic at hand, we'll stop here at verse 4. But here is the next benefit we can enjoy from the righteousness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is now no condemnation in us. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer under the judgment and wrath of God. We will still go before God and have to explain every careless word we've ever done, according to Jesus. But we will be declared innocent at the end because Not anything we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. We will approach the throne room of heaven, and we will go to the judgment seat. And because of the righteousness of the Son of God in our lives, we will be declared righteous as well through the imputation of his grace. So we are no longer under condemnation. We are no longer his enemies. We are his children and he deeply loves us. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Now, we need to understand this verse more specifically, because if we take it literally, then it means that we will no longer sin, and we will no longer die. Is that what it's referring to here? No, it is not and we have to read this more specifically as to how it's being said. The syntax of the statement is important. He's saying that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and the law of death. Our physical bodies will still die, but our souls will not, right? We are no longer going to be judged According to sin, but we still possess the nature of being sinners, right? But when it comes down to the final time where we have to stand before God in judgment, none of our sins are going to hold us back from being able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Our eternity in heaven is secured because of what Christ has done for us. And the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is the proof, it is the evidence, it is the down payment, if you will, of what he has already committed to doing. So we are not immune to the effects of sin, and we are not immune to the effects of death in a physical sense. But we will not go to hell, and we will not be judged according to our sins. That does not mean that we are free to do as we like, right? God still holds us accountable for our sins. He expects much better from us. And ultimately, we will have physical consequences if we are not obeying Him. So, that is not what we should get out of this. What we should get out of this is that we are no longer judged like the rest of the world, we are set apart. We are made a holy people in the sight of God. And what a privilege it is to be in that. It mentions here in verse 3 that for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Could the law of Moses save people? No. Because like James says, is that no one is able to keep the law. And if you fail at one point, You're guilty of all the law. Therefore, everyone has failed the law, except for Christ. And the second half of this verse we need to understand as well, because we can misread this and draw a conclusion that is not there. It says that what the law could not do, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And let me stop there because the Bible is not saying that Jesus was capable of sin, okay? Read that very carefully. It says that he sent his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. How can God, who is a holy, perfect God and is completely sinless, have the capacity to sin as a human being? This is a highly debatable portion of this passage, but there are some people that think that Jesus was able to sin if he wanted to, or that the temptations could have caused him to succumb to sin. But then at the same time, he's God. How is God able to succumb to sin? So we have that argument and that debate going on there. My personal stance is that he is not capable of sinning. Because even though he was born in the flesh of man, he did not have the sinful nature like we do. He was not capable of sinning because he's God, and he cannot deny his own nature. So for that reason, he was not born into sinful flesh, but he was born into the same flesh that we have, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. In the same nature of the flesh, but not the same nature of the sin in the flesh, if that makes any sense. And then it says that he made himself as an offering for sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh by his action. And he did so, according to verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. He died, and he obeyed the law perfectly. Because, for one, we could not, but now we don't have to, because through the imputation of his grace and his righteousness, we are masters over the law. And not only that, but we don't even walk according to the flesh anymore according to this. Once we are saved by the grace of God and the indwelt Holy Spirit joins us, then we walk according to the Spirit. We don't walk according to the flesh. Our change of ownership changes our trajectory. And where he sends us is down a spiritual path. The world will continue to wallow in its fleshly ways and will not see the light of Christ. But once you do see that light, you are changed. And you are now living in the Spirit. Such a wonderful truth that is revealed to us through the Word of God. Now then, with all that said and done, if the Lord gives us His grace, He saves us from condemnation, He joins us with Him in eternity, we have all these benefits to derive from the spiritual walk that we are called to. What then shall our response be to all of this? What is the proper way to respond to God in light of everything he is doing and has done for us? Well, there are plenty of things, right, that we should be doing and feeling, but if we are to have proper joy in the Lord, there is one thing that the Bible talks about repeatedly that we should have in order to fully understand who God is and to enjoy that peace we have with Him. And what that is, is described in the Old Testament as being the fear of the Lord. We are to fear the Lord. Now let me read you a couple of scriptures here that will illustrate my point as to what the fear of the Lord is not and what the fear of the Lord is, okay? Because at a glance, it seems like the fear of the Lord is to be afraid of him, that we are to be scared of entering into his presence. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And so I want to point us to a couple of important pieces of Scripture that have been around since the law of Moses. Well, let's look at The beginning of the law in Exodus chapter 20. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, and we're going to look beginning in verse 20. Now, the backdrop to this is where God Himself, in an audible voice at Mount Sinai, gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. He spoke directly to them, and they freaked out. They heard the voice of God, they saw the lightning, and they heard the trumpet, and they heard the mountain smoking like it was going to erupt, and they were deeply afraid. Okay? That is to be afraid of God. Okay? Well, look at what Moses says in verse 20, when they ask Moses to speak to God instead of them. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. If we don't understand the difference between fear and the fear of the Lord, this looks like a contradictory statement, doesn't it? Do not be afraid, but have the fear of God. Huh? What? How does that make any sense? Well, look at what it's saying. Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. And what kind of a test is he doing here? He is testing the faithfulness of his people. He is testing you in order that the fear of him may remain in you. Why? So that you may not sin. Think about what we are afraid of in this world. And in this generation, there is a lot to be afraid of. This culture is afraid of everything. There is so much fear mongering going on to control the people. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of being uncomfortable? Are you afraid of getting out of your comfort zone? Are you afraid of going to hell. I mean, it could be a number of things that we are afraid of, and those are indicative of where we are placing our trust. This is important. Listen carefully to this. What you fear directly correlates with what you trust. And in those hard times, when fear grips you, where are you running? What are you taking refuge in? Are you taking refuge in your money? Are you taking refuge in entertainment? Or are you taking refuge in God? And that will show you what you truly trust, what you truly worship. God's fear counters human fear. Do you see that? Do not be afraid, for God has come to test you in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the fear of God achieves the righteousness of God. It achieves holiness. Because if we have the fear of the Lord, we will not sin. Because we will run to him for comfort. We will run to him for security. And we won't put our trust in anything else. So it begs the question, how do I learn to fear the Lord? You fear the Lord by learning who he is and what he wants and what he loves and what he hates and his affections and his desires, and all of that is in Scripture. You can come to know who God is through the creation that he has made around us. But you won't know who God truly is until you read the Bible. He has revealed exactly who He is in the Word of God. That's why it's there. That's why it is timeless, because God Himself is timeless. Your relationship with your Savior will determine if you fear Him or not. And let me read you one last piece of scripture that illustrates something very similar to what we saw in Exodus. Come with me to Psalm chapter 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. Okay, there it is, that voice of joy. Why? For the Lord Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. Ah, so that's why I'm supposed to fear God, because he is the great king over all the earth. So, are you, are you starting to see how this fear is not the same thing that the rest of the world feels? This is not being afraid of God, but this is giving him the awe and the reverence and the respect, and the attention that a king deserves. The king demands the very best, and he expects the very best, and he deserves the very best from us. That is why we should have joy, and you won't have this joy until you learn who God is. There's a huge difference between knowing of God, and knowing God intimately. The only way you're going to get there is through his scripture and through prayer. It's the only way you're going to get there. There's no pastor sermon that you can hear that will get you there. You can listen to any of my podcast episodes, and it will not get you there. You can read a book by a famous Christian, but it won't get you there. God himself is the one who gets you there. So make the decision today to learn who God is in light of what he has already done for you and what he continues to do for you, and give him the fear that he deserves. And if you truly fear God, it will prove itself in your life. Not only will you take refuge in him, when times get hard but what you love what you have affection in how you choose to spend your time it will all be correlated with your closeness with god my greatest desire for myself and for you is that we understand the fear of the lord and that we stay there that's why we read romans chapter 5 right that It will create perseverance in us. And that perseverance will become proven character. And that proven character will become hope. And hope does not disappoint because God does not disappoint. And in closing, let me leave you two important attributes to the fear of the Lord that we will benefit from if we were to follow it. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Okay, so that's one important thing to consider. And then Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You see that? The fear of the Lord is the beginning, and the knowledge of who God is is understanding, not just by reading a book about him, but knowing who he is as a person. This should be your mission. Use these two scriptures moving forward as the basis for your journey into knowing who God is. Invite him into your life. Invite him into this activity. Include the Spirit, that he may convict us and lead us down the path of righteousness. I'm sorry I may sound very different than I usually do. I was struggling with sickness last week, and I lost my voice. And for some reason, it's been very difficult to get it back. But every day it gets a little bit better, so bear with me. But by the time we have the next lesson, I should be good as new. Thank you for coming on this journey with me, and thank you for listening today. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, and take care. God bless you.